Welcome to the United Basketball and Leadership Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Smith. Special thanks to our sponsor, Dr. Dish. Dr. Dish has been with us since the beginning. They have a great product. I got a Dr. Dish last season, and my players love it. They get so many shots up in the morning before school and after school. Mention the United Basketball and Leadership Podcast and receive $300 off one of their shooting machines. The Hoosier Gym Coaches Clinic is right around the corner, August 27th and 28th. Phil Beckner, Rob Jones, Mark Cosio, Tyler Costin, and many more. You can pre-register at unitedbasketballclinics.com and take advantage of our early bird discounts. We're giving a really good discount, and it's good till July 15th. Well, guys, again, thanks for joining us. Now let's get to the podcast. The last several seasons, the University of Alaska Anchorage women's basketball team, led by coach Ryan McCarthy, has gone 185 wins and 17 losses. Let that sink in, 185 and 17. Not only is coach McCarthy a great offensive coach, but their mayhem defensive style of play is what is giving them great success. Teams can't score against it. It's also difficult to mirror in practice as you prepare for them. So if you're looking for a defense to give teams trouble in your league, this may be an option for you. The Mayhem defensive system is phenomenal. We are blessed to have such an accomplished coach with us on the podcast today. I want to welcome Ron McCarthy with University of Alaska Anchorage, the Seawolves. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Glad to have you. Um, I hope you're well and your family during this uh, unique time in which we're living. I hope you guys are doing well. Yeah, we're doing pretty good. We uh, we got caught um, before we could get back into Alaska, so we're actually in Ohio right now um, at the in-laws' house for three weeks. So, oh, nice. Yeah, God bless us, right? <laughs> but it's been good. A few, some coaches just seized up just then as they're going to hear this and think about staying with their in-laws for three weeks. So, hopefully, it's a great experience for you and your family. <laughs> but, well, coach, I want to talk about your defensive system today. Again, I've looked at all your videos. YouTube and I've been following you guys for a couple of years kind of tracking your success and your success is phenomenal just from a wins and losses perspective but you've been able to establish a style of defense there which I think many of us are jealous of so what I want to ask you is we'll get to the mayhem in a minute but I want to talk about what did you do prior to this yeah um, you know I grew up you know playing man-to-man and um, you know I did it all through high school college when i when i went overseas it was you know all man to man and and in fact that's how they teach their youth over there we weren't you know we you know as players we would coach you know little youth teams and they weren't allowed to zone um which which i think is good you know i think man-to-man principles are something we spend a great deal of time on Um, but i was always man-to-man before um uaa and and my first year at uaa i replaced a guy um that had committed NCAA uh, a major infraction and so we had lost a number of scholarships we had only seven players returning I had got hired in August so like a week before school started and my first recruiting class was three intramural players wow. so we could go five and five and uh, we ended up playing man-to-man we had a decent season we ended up in the great Alaska shootout that year we beat North Dakota State by 27 and there were some things offensively that we did, I thought helped us win that game. And we finished third in our league. And then the next year we brought in eight new players and 
we were playing our first exhibition game was against Kansas State. And Coach Bradburn was there, and they'd come off a very successful season in the Big 12. And uh, my assistant uh, was somebody that I had played um, pro with and, and, and AAU when we were in teenagers. And he said that he had watched a video on Jerry Tarkanian's amoeba defense. And he said, you know, I think we need to put this in for our zone. And I said, no, we're, we're all man to man. I don't, I don't do that stuff. And he said, well, let's put it in on out of bounds plays. So I said, okay, let, we'll put it in. So the first play of the game at Kansas State, um, they, they win the jump. They come down, roll, you know, we deflect it. It goes out of bounds. We go into the amoeba. They kick it out. We get a steal. We get a layup. K-State calls a timeout because they're ticked off. We, we just got an easy one. So in the timeout, we say, okay, um, we're not going to come into man. They're going to drop a set. They're going to try to, you know, get it to stead. Stay in the amoeba. So we get another steal. It's four to zero. They call another timeout. And I said, ladies, we're just going to yeah. roll with this for the rest of the game. Because in our mind, if we lost by 30 in that game, right. that was going to be a win for us. And uh, so we stay with it. We're up by nine at halftime against K-State, staying in the amoeba. And it was, I just thought like, man, if, if we can do this against K-State, and we end up losing by like four, and we had no business being in the game with them, then we can dominate our level. And so we ended up staying with it. And that year we finished 19 and nine and we lost to a team that pressed and they were slow and they, they weren't a team that I thought should have dictated as much tempo as they did against us, but they fell back into a two, two, one back into the two, three. And so we kind of hit the drawing board again and we thought, okay, well, if they can do that, then we could make that two, two, one, like a pressure two, two, one and kind of run and jump a little bit um, out of it. And ever since then, we are 185 and wow. 17 since, since that particular season doing this, doing this. And um, I think part of it is, you know, we, we're the only team in the history of women's basketball that's division two to win a division one tournament. And we have beaten teams that have from the pac 12 to, you know, beating Pepperdine by 40 and pulling the press off in the fourth quarter that teams athletic, we had no business being in a game with. And so, um, and this year we, we beat Central Washington to get, to get into our conference championship and they hit 18 threes against us and we still won. And I truly believe in this system more than I ever have after that game. <laughs> so every coach has a story about why they changed the style of play and, and yours is right there with the best of them because a lot of times it's like a, a coach has to convince the kids, convince the kids. You probably had kids in the timeout saying, Coach, we don't want to go man. We want to stay in the amoeba. That's been, that's been uh, a conversation a lot of times. You know, um, we've, we've uh, won a lot of close games in that, that 185 number. And at the end of the game, there'll be sometimes we're up by two and they advance the ball because in women's basketball you can do that now. And they're on the sideline and maybe, you know, they hit a three, they win. And typically against man to man, what I always tell our girls, you know, we have 20 plays that we could call to get a three point shot off against the man to man D. And I'm pretty confident that we could at least get a look out of those, any one of those sets and against a zone defense or a, a matchup, maybe some coaches have two or three, right? You know, we don't really have to go over a bunch of different actions outside of just paying attention to personnel. So we'll get at the end and, and they're bought in. I mean, they, nope, we don't, 
We don't mess around with man. And we practice man every practice. We do four on four shell just like the rest of the country. And we make games with it. You know, we give points for O boards or steals or whatever. But we practice those fundamentals every day. But we are a matchup zone team. So you would say that in order to be a successful matchup zone team or zone team, you need to have a real concrete understanding of man-to-man principles. I personally believe that. Um, I just think, you know, closeouts, however, you know, people want to teach those, we teach them a certain way. And, um, you know, being able to dictate what side of the ball, what side of the ball comes up um, of the floor that you want to, you want to push the point guard or pick on somebody's weakness. We work on a lot of that kind of stuff, um, active hands defensively. And, you know, in our zone, there is what we call a hoop man. And that's the help side. That would be like the bottom eye of a man defense if you were that bottom side defender and it's the same kind of reads you know you're helping if you front the post and and a long close out if they throw a skip you know those types of things so um yeah I, I think it's really important to know those man-to-man concepts was is there a mentality that some of the players had to get over uh, defensively or was it just an easy transition um the first year i think it was a little bit of a transition you know some of them they had been coached a certain way and this you know did not want to get out of like you know someone hit a three on us and they just they like no nope, we gotta go back to man coach and i was like come on um so i think a little bit of that um and you know it's the whole thing like if you want something that you never had you have to be willing to do something that you've never done right. we kind of sold it like that and that we essentially stole mayhem from when Shaka Smart was at VCU and, and, and Havoc. And we branded it a certain way. And then we kind of built our preseason conditioning based off of that fact that like, you know, this is, this is the hard nose defense. You got to be tough to play here and to be in Alaska and you know everything leadership wise we do is off the Navy SEALs and stuff. So that's their, that's their mentality. I think. They no, that's enjoy. good. You, you definitely have some tough players. It sounds like, okay, let's, let's just break it down. Let's start with the full court press. So you do a, you a, a two, two, one. Is this just off a, mi- a make? Do you do it on a miss or do you just get back? What do you, when do you press? And in the press, are you trying to speed up the tempo? Are you trying to force turnovers or a little bit of both? So we will press off of every make and every dead ball okay and we have three different presses that that we like to use um but our our base press the go to the bread and butter the whole deal is the two two one run and jump and we will do that we call it shark and we will get into that off of you know every kind of slow up in the game and, and off a of miss i just want them to get back and right to stop the bleeding um so we we, we essentially we will do one of two things. If it's a stud point guard, we will always force them to the middle because our other, it will force them into the help uh, or the, their partner in that two, two, one. So regardless of what handed player they are, if it is a dominant point guard or a very athletic point guard faster than we are, we will force them into the middle and just kind of shadow over the top of that particular player. If it's a player that we think we could take advantage of, then we'll always force them up the sideline to try to run and jump right away. Or if they're throwing back to a weaker ball handler. So if their forward brings it out every single time, then we'll try to speed the point guard up, up the sideline and make them throw back to a non handler. And then we'll play one-on-one after that. Um, If it is a point guard that we think is really one handed, then we will force them to that hand 
the whole time and make them get really good at that hand for that game. Okay. Um, so that's kind of that's kind of the press. We won't we'll rarely trap from in, within front. So we'll stunt a lot of the time with our uh, our second two defenders as they go up the line in denial along the sideline. We'll have them stunt unless the spacing gets really bad, and then we'll trap from in front and send the opposite, what we call like X1 and 2 are the front. If X1 was guarding the ball, we would shoot X2 back if we trap from within front, but we, we rarely do that um, just because a lot of teams try to – they try to send everybody deep, and they make it kind of a two-on-two game. What terminology do you use for the players in the press? Is it X1, X2, et cetera, or do you have specific names that describe what their role is? The the top two we always call X one and X two. Okay. The, the second the second two are X three and X four, and they their their responsibilities are the same depending on what side of the ball is. And then X five is always in the back. Um, X five, I will put a lot of rules on if they're not very athletic. We, we had a girl that could jump over a credit card, and so she had all the rules in the world. And then we had a girl that could dunk a volleyball. And I just told her, go make a play. Right. <laughs> you know, athleticism give, gives you a lot more freedom as a player and a coach for sure. <laughs> it sure does. You can make a lot more mistakes. So, when is the press off? Like, at what point do you decide the press is off and we're back into our half court amoeba defense? Off of a missed basket or we're up by 40. So, the press just, just uh, transitions seamlessly into the half court. Yeah. And I think we're better in it. We, you know, sometimes when we're up by a lot, you know, sometimes we get, you know, we get a hard time from other coaches, but it, it honestly, it helps our defense be better because we can dictate what side of the floor the ball is going to be brought up on. And there's times, you know, we played one particular team this year that had a really good point guard and we just wanted to slow them down in the press. We weren't necessarily looking to run with this team because they almost played a, a helter skelter style, you know, that wasn't. They weren't going to come down and execute a set against you. They wanted to shoot a three real quick. So we tried to really slow it down against them and just kind of force the point guard to the middle, hover that person over the top, and make them play basketball. And I think a lot of the time that's what the press the press would help us do against those talented teams. Let's say that it's a, it's a missed basket. Your players are getting back, transition. Is it a 2-2, 2-3 look, 1-1-3 look, 2-2-1 two, two, look? I know it determines as a matchup where the players are and where the ball is, the offensive players, but the ball comes down the center of the floor and there's two wings, a high post and a low post. Yeah. They've got a one, three, one look. What, who's guarding who in that position? The amoeba for us is a, is a one, one, three. And it's, mm-hmm. so it's a one, one, three matchup zone. So the, the point guard will get up and pressure real hard on the point guard, regardless of talent. So where's that pickup point? Half court, like right, okay. you know, right as they start, you know, we'll start to kind of fall back. We always say if we haven't trapped by half court, we fall back into Amoeba, but that X1 defender is up on the point guard and that pressure never stops. So we're trying to dictate that that flow to one side or the other. Or we call from one key to the other key, the river. So we try to keep them out of the river. Okay. And we try to keep them to one side. The three or the four, depending on what side we're at, but let's just say it's ball side. X1 is on the point guard. They have a wing. Our X3 defender is in denial, up up the line denial on that particular player. And we want them to come out far. We want them to start their offense. You know, we want teams to spread us out. We want them to come out. So right when they catch it, if they make that pass, we'll immediately retreat and we'll fall back 
the X3 and X4 are not pressure defenders, but the one and the two are. So okay. the two will always have the high post. The five will be in a full front on the low post. And the four, if they're on the opposite side, they're going to be in that help side position that we kind of talked about earlier um, as, as what we call the hoop man. So that, that's kind of our base alignment. So let's talk about uh, they have four out. They have two wings and kind of that two guard look off, you know, off the elbows extended. And they have, you know, a, a low post who's Roman low post, the high post to yeah. say, would X1 and X2 take those two guards, X3 and X4 get the wings, and then the five is responsible for the player in the paint? Yeah. Pretty much, um, we would take our opposite X. So if X1 has the ball, we would take X2 and have them guard in between the high post and the other uh, top player. Um, because what we want is if that point guard were to get past our X1, we would do what's called a jump switch and we would take our two and shoot and attack that drive. And our one would then fly over to the other side and help or be that help side position between the high post. So they would essentially switch responsibilities. The five would stay with the the post offensive player, Roman block to block or high post. And if they send anybody through, so if if the high post or the low post flashes to the high post, and let's say the one or the two cuts through the key, then we bump the five off to to maintain the uh, lowest position, and then our two would then take the high post. Okay, no, that that makes sense. What about a ball screen up top? If the the five comes up, sets a ball screen on X1. Is there a hard hedge on that? Do you switch that off to X2, pick up the player coming off the screen? How, how do you look at that action? So as the as the X5 would come out of their area, that then would become X2's man. X1 would be on the ball. As the ball screen happens, X2 would jump that ball screen really hard, almost like a trap. But one would go underneath the ball screen instead of following that to, um, to trap it. And then one would take that role all the way until he or she can pass that off until to X5 and then shift over a position. Um, but ball screens are something that are not effective against the amoeba. And, and teams that have tried to do that against us, we've either taken them out of their stuff because they, they're using that to get to the other side of the floor typically. Right. And we'll deny that next pass. So. It's just, if we're jumping it hard and we're keeping them on the same side of the floor, it's just not an effective strategy against the Amoeba D. So I would say communication in in your defense is one of the main foundations, correct? Yeah. I mean, every coach says that. We all say communication. I'll go to games. I don't hear anyone talk. I go to practices and coaches don't focus. But if you're in a matchup and you're bumping down and bumping up and switching like that, you've got to have great communication. Oh yeah, we and we, we they've run more lines probably in their life for not talking um, than anything else in practice. I mean, you know, at the beginning of the year, we'll grade them on their talk. So we'll chart it. We'll say, you know, this person was an A plus talker. This person was a B minus talker. This person was a C. And if you're not in the A range, you're running. So on the communication that you're um, evaluating in practice, is this just on defense or just in general? drills um, offense or is it mainly the defensive part of it mainly on defense you know that's when we really pay attention to it you know i think later on in the season because we run a motion offense i think communication is important there too but you know defense it's it's really important i mean we we place a real high premium on communication defensively 
I love the idea of grading the team at practice on their level of communication. Speaking of that, are there any specific calls you have on defense? What terminology do you use for players that aren't on the ball in the Omiba defense? We just say it's old school. We just say help. Yeah. You know, and I tell them, you know, we, we don't get too crazy with terminology. You know, we say, you know, we'll say the jump switch thing that I talked about. If we end up doing Amoeba rotation, meaning like an X, some people call it an X cut where the three, they, the three is guarding the wing. They run a baseline runner out to the, to the corner. The five comes out, the three goes down. We just, we say dive, you know, if the, if the, and it's the fives call dive or stay or whatever, you know, bump, we use that. Um, but I tell them defensively, and I think a lot of kids don't do this because they, they, they're not playing, you know, like when you and I grew up, you would go to the rec center or the playground and you would have, you would stay out there and the winner stays and you'd be waiting mm-hmm. for your five guys to get on so you could get some studs and run court, you know, a little bit. They don't do that now. And it's, it's AAU and you're, they don't talk on D and it's, it's, it's not really good basketball consistently. There's some very good right. program, but it's, it's too many, too many games that they're not learning just the, the simple things that you could learn just playing pickup, you know? Right. And so I tell them, talk like it makes sense, but don't sit out there in denial and yell out denial 55 times. That don't make any sense to me. You're not helping anybody out saying that you're in denial. So if, if we're doing shell, I say, I want to hear denial one time, but if you're in yeah. help, you better be letting everybody know what's going on because you see everything. And if your man is about to screen somebody or they cut or you got face cut and you need help, everybody better know that. We'll be right back to the interview in just a few moments. But first, I want to thank you for listening to the United Basketball and Leadership Podcast. And if you like what you hear, we'd love to have you write us a review. If you'd like to learn more about the podcast or about United Basketball Clinics, You could follow us on Twitter at United underscore clinics, or you could visit our website at unitedbasketballclinics.com. Yeah, again, my team has run a 1-1-3 the last couple of years. Not as good a matchup as yours. We've done a pretty good job with it. We did pack line my first year, went to the 1-1-3, and we actually wound up giving up like nine fewer held teams of 47 points a game, which wasn't bad. but I would say in, in our defense, the most important player was the five because they can see everything. Now, what are the rules on your five covering the corner? Like if, I, if we overload it and there's already – so you've got X1, there's, well, there's an off-point guard, you've got a wing, and you've got a, a player already sitting in the corner and they reverse the ball quickly, does the five come out and that's when the three sprints to the block or would the three deny that pass back out? and the back and the other forward kind of rotate all the way over. Does that make sense how I said that? Yeah. So that, that's all personnel. What, what we don't want to do that. That's like the, the help side rotation where one guy comes over to try to take a charge and man to man. Like that's how I um, would compare that. We don't want to do that rotation. Now, if we have to, we do it. And the five yells out dive, like it's an emergency and we head down and the four comes over to help on a dive. But if, we can help it. The three guards both. So that's why we want that person when the three is in denial to catch out far and the three will then retreat to try to cheat that, that corner pass. Yeah. Um, so if they catch it and they're in good spacing, it's a good shooter on the wing and they caught it 
and we don't have time, then yes, we will come out. Any short corner pass, we will follow that pass down with the three, and the five will stunt to give the three time, and the four, the hoop man, will stunt to give the five time to retreat back on a, on a high post dive if they went short corner dive. But on that three point, that corner three point shot, we, we give up less threes than you would think. Cause most teams will try to do that to us. They they think that, you know, oh, we'll, get, we'll drag their five out and our threes get really good at stunting. We call it, we call it, we named it after a player cause she got really good at it. Her name was Tara Thompson and we call it Tara Thompson. Yeah. If you can, you can stunt at your man and try to try to anticipate that pass down to the, the corner, then you've done your job. And then the two is going to shoot out from the high post to deny that pass back out of the yeah. corner. What other, what greater compliment can a player have than the team name a defensive movement after them? Right. I mean, yeah, yeah that's, that's yeah. way better than just saying stunt. Okay. What are some of the absolutes that, cannot happen against you the the pass from the corner back out to the wing that cannot happen and i'll pull kids out of the game so quick if they get that pass because we want to punish them if they go to the corner because they're trying to be tricky with a with a baseline runner or send someone down there then they don't get to get it back out or they got to work really hard to get that out of there um the other one would be they don't get to turn the corner on a ball screen so if you were the person that was responsible, usually it's, it's always X1 or X2, but if your person set a ball screen and you didn't call it out and you didn't jump it on the bench. Okay. Um, so those two, those two uh, high post is, is a gray area to me because sometimes we want it in the high post. If they got two bigs that just aren't good decision makers or, or they're more true low block scores, then there's there's times where we've given them the high post you know like go ahead yeah. <laughs> you know shoot it i've always liked it when they took that shot from the high post because it's something people aren't really working on at practice and i would say the percentage is probably under 30 versus us so i'm like i don't want a guy i don't want their best passer at the high post by any means and most teams aren't good enough to go really a great high low but if you're going to shoot that shot man that's perfect for us because it's better than a than a great three and it's also better than the you know good look around the rim i want to make sure we're clear on our coverage when the ball is in the corner on the baseline who denies the pass out to the wing who has high post coverage let's make sure we have that down clearly they'll be at the high post and we kind of change it it depends the one will sometimes shoot down if the point guard has bad spacing with the wing we'll send the one down to deny that pass and then the two will stay in the high post Sometimes we'll take the two and we'll shoot her out from the high post to deny the pass back out to the wing and shoot the one down. Um, and then the four on the backside would have whatever backside guard there is, or if they overloaded a side really hard, we'd bring her over about to the midline. Um, uh, that's about how we would defend that look right there. Um, but a lot of the time, either the two and the one won't talk and no one will get that pass because they'll both assume the other one was going to go out there or the right. two. The worst excuse ever is I was getting post up, posted up at the high post and I couldn't get through. And then tell them, you can go sit down until you can figure that out. Because that's just the toughness thing, you know. So let's say the player in the corner is able to beat X3 off the bounce. Right. X1, let's say X1's denying the pass up. They beat them not they don't beat them baseline side, they beat them towards the middle. Is that your high post? 
to be the help side there or do you want your big stepping up? Um, it depends how shallow it is, but I would say typically that would be like X2's help from the high post. Yeah, let's say it's kind of going towards the middle of the paint area. Yeah, right I would say line. X2 would take that until X3 could recover. Um, and then X1 would probably come down a little bit and we'd probably force a pass out to the perimeter again. And if the ball is passed to the low post, do you have any double rules or you just play them straight up? Or is it obviously a personnel decision based on who you're playing? How, how, do, how do you guard the low post when they receive the pass from the wing? We um, have a couple different coverages we do out of that. One, sometimes, and we have like, um, there's three types of post players. One, we'll play mano a mano. We think, you know, hey, if they score four points against us, God bless them, but that's not going to beat us. Then we have ones that are pretty good low post players, but not a player that they're looking to go through all game long. And that would be players that we're going to dig on. So we'll dig from the X3, X4 position or X1 or X2, depending if they go high, like a high post, we'll come down and show and try to get a hand in there and try to pop the ball out, but just to kind of make them think about it. And then there's the player that will double. And if it's a really dominant low post, sometimes we've done this against some, you know, bigger division one teams where we'll send X2 down and we'll double right on the catch and we'll go for a steal. Like we just, anytime mm -hmm. we double, we, it's, it's, you're giving something up. And my personal rule is if we give something up, then we're attacking what we're giving, you know, we're, we're in attack mode in that, in that point. Why are you so good at this defense? Now is it because obviously the coaching staff does a great job. Your players are bought in, but like, is it because you put such intense pressure on the ball and some things that look open just aren't quite open like the wing pass? Is it that they don't know what you're quite doing? Do you see – and do you see teams try to run man-to-man -man offense versus it and also do some zone sets? What do you – how do teams combat it? But first of all, why are you so – why are you guys so good at it? Yeah, I think because we have good man-to-man -man principles. I really do. I think our, once our girls understand it, it makes us pretty elite. But we're, we're good initially because we have good, good defenders. Um, and we, we, we spend a lot of time on that. Um, and then I think what makes us elite is once they get used to it and they can recognize the times where they can go make a play that, like, I can't coach, um, they go chase the ball handler down. Or um, the two, you know, the, the one, their point guard got past ours and the two jumped out and stole the ball you know, or something like that, or we, we came down and reached from behind in a, in a high post and got a steal, you know, those types of things. Once they understand what we're trying to do, this defense gives those types of players, like those athletes, like you're talking about, it gives them freedom to be athletes. Yeah. And it gives them freedom to make plays where they're not just so in a, so many defense are just such a system. It's almost like you're a defensive robot right. sometimes. And I want them to be players. Yeah, and I think you had a good point earlier when you mentioned, you know, if you want to get a three-point shot versus man-to-man, -man, between the two of us together, we've probably got 35, 40, 50 plays. But if I right. really want to get a, a shot off for game winner versus a zone, I've got a handful. So one reason my guys enjoyed the defense we've played the last couple of seasons was there, we only saw like four or five consistent actions at the high school level, and we could really spend time guarding those as opposed to guarding every – screen variation every angle everything like that and like we never see ball screens with our zone um so no that that's really good makes a lot of sense so if a coach wants to 
implement this, if they don't have good foundations defensively, this is not some magic wand. You've got to be fundamental from the on the defensive side first. Yeah, I, I, I truly believe that. I mean, there's a lot of coaches that have been hitting me up before and say, oh, I just, I'm going to put the amoeba in. I'm like, okay, well, it's going to be just as good as any other defense. If, right. You know, we've got the ponies, you know, so. Would you say, what are some specific growing pains that you might tell a coach? Like, hey, you're going to put this in, but these are some things that are going to be some growing pains you've got to learn to deal with at the beginning before the players grasp it. And I would say even the whole, the entire coaching staff gets it. How long did it take you to really feel like you guys had a handle on it? Anybody that's played a pack line defense really struggles in this because they don't want to deny and they don't, they'll, they'll put yeah. pressure on the ball, but anything off the ball, they're always like in help. And I was like, no, 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 we're going at them, <laughs> you know? So just to develop that attack mentality, I think that's the biggest struggle for me is that, you know, you got to be able to, and there's a lot of trust in your teammates that has to happen now, if you're going to do that, um, you know, and that's why getting them to talk is so important. Cause I know, like you said, a lot of coaches talk about it, but in this style, it is incredibly important because you're consistently fixing mistakes. You know, I say pressure buys time and talk fixes mistakes. And those are the two most important things on defense. What are some defensive stats that you track at practice or in games that you feel like are important to this system? And you walk in at halftime and talk about the statistic we're doing well or not well at, and it kind of leads to your success or is there, or is there any specific thing at all? Um, you know, we, we track deflections in practice. Uh, the starting five for our first competition, which is normally our alumni game, we, the starting five will be positional battles and the statistics of rebounds, deflections, steals, and charges, and turnovers take away those points. Um, so, um, you know, I think if we have 35 or more deflections in a game, we win. It doesn't matter how we shoot. doesn't matter – you know, that's just been something that's pretty, been pretty consistent for us. Um, and really, that's, you know, when we grade, it's, it's more of a, a subjective um, kind, of, kind of stat, I guess, or objective, but uh, talking in, in, in uh, our practices, you know, um, if they got an A, B, C grade um, there. So. Now, is that something the assistant coaches are responsible for or every single – or certain staff members have, you're watching these five players, you're watching these five players. How, do, how does that grading process happen? Because I think a lot of coaches are hearing that, like, that's a great idea, but, you know, they've got them and one assistant at practice. Yeah. It's, it's tough. Um, we, I only have two assistants. So uh, we have yeah. one that will watch the bigs, one that will watch the guards the, on the defensive end. And I think that kind of makes it easier. Um, and, you know, in practice – a lot of times we'll film practice and we'll go back and we'll, we'll stat that out when we film it. Um, and I know that everybody isn't a full-time coach and doesn't have the hours in the day to be able to do that. But, you know, I think any time that you compete, you chart rebounds and maybe even if you just did steals over um, deflections, but sometimes if you chart steals and you're kind of, you're almost leaning in a way that you're, you're making some unnecessary gambles at times to try to get those stats. But we try to do. Right. That's what I was, yeah, that's what I was going to ask next. I mean, this is your style and you're very good at it, but do you look at this – do your players look at this as a gamble or they're not really taking a lot of risk? The steals they get are just great defensive position or they're not really gambling a lot. We're not really gambling that much. I mean, we we are going to get steals as a result of our pressure, you know, um, 
we'll we'll gamble and 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 make some some uh you know double you know trapping and and things like that but a lot of it we're just getting because we were in denial you know we were we were in the right position and help side we you know and i think a lot of coaches don't know how to execute against this particular defense it's just it's it's unique it has they don't know how to coach against it for the same reason that they won't put it in because they don't understand it and I would think that even they know they're going to play you. They've got film on you. They've seen you year after year. To get a practice squad to do this at their practice, they can't mirror this at their practices. No, you 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 can't. There's two things you can't mirror. You can't mirror pressure, and you can't mirror height. And we're not always going to be the tallest team, but I I feel that you know coaches always tell me I put I put six players on the floor to simulate <laughs> right. <laughs> no, that's good. All right, so this leads me to the next question. A coach is watching your style or they realize they need to make a change somewhere in their system. Can you do this without superior athletes? Yeah, um, I do believe you can. And I think it's all relative. You know, we we've have this elite record because we have found the recipe that we need to have very defensive-minded, athletic, one and two. We can hide out a three that can really shoot. We need to have an undersized or athletic four, and then it doesn't really matter with our five. We've had a five that was five nine and couldn't jump, and she was just really tough. And we had a we had a six one girl that that you know is still playing pro. Um, but I think it, it matters the most with your X one and your X two if you're going to be a lead at it. But I do truly believe that anyone could play this defense, but it's going to be relative to what you would do in any other kind of defense. I, I think that it improves you a little bit if you can understand the, um, the, the rotations of it and you can, your team is savvy. I would almost say at the high school level, it would be more important that your team can pick up on this rather than if they're super athletic. Okay. No, that makes sense. Um, okay. Now, how does your offensive style of play complement your defense? Um, you know that that's something that's that's uh, kind of grown over the years as well. Um, I, I I always felt like as a coach that was one area that I needed to work on. I I felt like okay, we made up a lot of the rules to our defense, so we have a very deep understanding of it. But offensively, it was just as the game changes and and um, people you know defensive schemes change and things like that. I just kind of felt some years like, man, I'm behind, you know, I'm not, I'm not doing what I need to be doing offensively. So I really started digging into that uh, the last probably two or three years. And we run a four out one in motion that, that um, I dug out an old, an old fossil uh, DVD of Jay Wright when he was at Hofstra. And, yeah. Wow. And it, and it, a lot of our listeners just learned Jay Wright was at Hofstra. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> And uh, it's unbelievable DVD. It breaks down everything. It's very, it's, it's not as, um, uh, you know, I bet if you came out with one now, it'd be a lot different. Um, they do a lot of really good things in terms of like pass fakes and pump fakes and stuff like that. But he's such a good teacher of basketball, especially in the offensive end. And so we run something very similar to that. And then um, when I played overseas, I really felt like one thing that I learned over there was just the movement and the, they were playing positionless basketball before we did. And so that was something that I noticed and just how well they move the ball and the motion of their offense. And 
one thing that's really difficult, especially on the women's side, is they don't play as much basketball as the men do. Because if you go to an open gym or something like that, it's always men. You never see open gym with, you know, maybe one or two girls are mixed in there. So just teaching them how to play, um, and I think any young basketball player in general, but just to be able to move without the ball and that kind of stuff, I think is just so critical. Um, and, and reading ball screens, we do a lot of slip actions and uh, things like that, you know, um, but a lot of our sets, they take a long time because they have a lot of different options. And I, I just watch Euro, Euro league, YouTube stuff, you know, known yeah. I think is a guy, someone else, you know, I, yeah, he's I, really good. I try to steal as much of that kind of stuff. And I, and I was telling someone today, actually, I won't, I have like OG sets. There's six sets we're going to have every year. Cause I just really like them. And I have our captains teach them to the team at the beginning of the year. So that by the time we can actually work with them and I won't put in all the other sets that I have that are new to that particular team until I kind of figure out what I'm working with. And I really don't ever know what I'm truly working with until about Thanksgiving. And then once Thanksgiving hits, then I'm like, okay, we need to get this player in this spot or whatever the case may be. But that's when I try to find those European sets that have a lot of movement to to get our players in those spots. Okay. You mentioned this earlier and I made a note. I want to make sure I get back to it. You mentioned your preseason conditioning is leads you to your pressing style and your fast style of play. What does your preseason conditioning look like? Um, First of all, Alaska is the most unique place I think you can be during the preseason because it starts out and the weather's nice and the sun's up and, you know, you get to campus in <laughs> August and you're like, man, this is great, you know. And then uh, November hit, you know, I shouldn't say November because that's the only preseason, but September, October, it starts, you know, late October, it starts snowing and um, it's it's still dark out at like 8 a.m. You know, you feel like you're grinding it if you get up at 8. And um, we'll do our, our preseason conditioning. Everything we do is competitive. So we don't get out there. The weight coaches do their thing. We, we tell the weight coaches – do whatever you guys do. You guys do a great job. But our conditioning, that's up to us. And that builds the competitor, in my opinion. We don't look at all the science behind everything. Like we've done a, our, we have a routine that we do. We stick to it. There's a hell week involved in it. Um, but everything, they'll get out on the floor. We'll pick two people and they'll pick teams like they're on the playground. And we'll have them do like a, everything's inside too. I don't make them go out on the track. So they have a, a mile and a half test that they have to get a certain time. And then we do something called 2020s, which is 20 suicides in 20 minutes. And that time that you have to make that time goes down. So if you start out at 20 minutes, everybody's on the baseline. And at 1941, the, the team takes off on their uh, suicide drill or line drill. And they have to make it before it hits 19. Well, that's really easy. So then they, they get to 19 and they wait until it gets to 1840, let's say. They got to make it before 40. And the time will stay the same at some times, but by the end, you get to two minutes and you're on two minutes and you're waiting until it gets to a minute, you know, 35 and you got to make it wow. 35 seconds. You just run 18 lines. So usually four or five actually make it but that we can chart that and we tell them you need to get 12 or you you're going to do it over and over and over until you get it now do you do morning morning um conditioning afternoon how does how does that look what does it look like for you i know they've got college classes and schedules to work around 
Yeah, I hate the morning. So Hell Week is Hell Week for me too. And we do 5 a.m. conditioning in Hell Week. And we'll build in that particular week. So we'll do like uh, two teams versus each other. And the loser always has a punishment. Or, you know, we always say it pays to be a winner. So if you win, your reward is you don't have to do the next drill. So the loser runs. And then they have to run again and they have to compete again. And it's just, I tell them, it's just like when you're down by 20 in a game and you got to fight back and you got to expend all that energy to get back into the game. But then to win, you got to dig down on another level, you know, and, and it's the same thing with conditioning. If you look, we've never had a team go through the whole day and win every single one. And then you get to see your leaders, you know? Um, so hell week is 5am, but everything else is, is afternoon. and um, you know, I, I think after that six weeks, they have like a sense of accomplishment. We give them t-shirts, you know, uh, after that, um, like a, I tell them they are our, our last day of hell week, which is the last day of conditioning. They have to run these huge sand dunes down by the ocean and tip it's borderline snowing at that time. So it's, when you think of a sand dune, it is very pretty, <laughs> but it's not, it's not like, uh, you know, Loyola Marymount sand dune type of thing all right so conditioning competitive walk me through what a in general what does a typical practice look like for you and i know they change as the year progresses but let's talk about that first couple of weeks what does what does a practice look like what percentage are you giving to the offense and defense do you have a set startup that you do every day or does it vary we will split up uh guard posts at the beginning so my um, I've always had uh, an assistant and my assistant has been with me since day one. Now she always takes the, t- the posts and she's very good at, at post skill development. I think that's a really important piece of, of the game. They work on that. So they, they may work on reads. They may work on high, low passes. They may work on something defensively, um, but it's whatever we think our need is at that time. And then I'll work with the guards and we'll work on, you know, same thing, different reads. We may do some sort of shooting contest. We may do like bowl in the ring where the person's got to get three stops out of a closeout to get out of the drill um, or, or something like that. But I'm always looking for new drills and that to keep it fresh for the kids. Um, but that's the beginning of practice. And then we'll get into um, a fundamental drill. So it'll be like a three man weave with some different rules. It, it could be um, some sort of transitional, like a, the four on four where you, you tell, we call it four on four in North, North Carolina, but you call it someone's name, they go touch the base. It's a right. four on three, um, that type of drill. Um, so some sort of fundamental drill, maybe passing, it may be defensively, it may be something like that, but something for the whole team. And then we'll do our shell. Uh, we'll always go um, usual, usually defense before offense. So we'll kind of set the tone, um, but we'll do shell. Um, we have a drill called baseball that's kind of like shell, but you don't you score runs if you're on offense, and if you're on defense to get out of the defensive inning, you have to get three stops, and then it and then it flip. Um, what are some good breakdown drills for your uh, half court amoeba? Some things that are foundational that maybe you do every day. You make sure you hit a few times a week as you want to get the players to understand the system? Uh, one is we'll, we'll break down that amoeba rotation, that, that X cut. Um, we'll, we'll work on um, making the read form. So we'll say, you know, hey, the three is going to go cover down 
uh, on the on the low post, the five is going to shoot out. This is what we want it to look like. This is where we want your hands, etc. And how the one and the two will read that to be able to see who's going to come down and deny that pass back out. Um, that's one we spend a lot of time on. We'll go over the same one on how to bump and how to guard a short corner pass so that we don't do the we don't have to do the um, X cut uh, rotation. Mm -hmm. uh, we'll do one on um, jump switching where I just take the guard. Typically, we'll do this in that guard post breakdown time uh, where the three, four, and five may be working on that X cut rotation, and the one and the two will be down on the other end working on. I'll, I'll have one person with the ball. I'll have their defender um, right behind them, like almost side to side, but just right behind them, and I'll have a high post, and the X2 will be guarding the high post, and I'll just blow the whistle live, and they can't cross the midline but it's essentially live so the two has to jump out and take the one and the one has to cover down and guard the high post and they get one pass we call it live and um and the high post can't dive down because an x5 would be down there anyway so that's a good drill to kind of break it down and to get them confident enough to pressure the ball at the level that we need them to or what looks can give you the most trouble you face a team that's equally matched skill-wise or maybe even better what are some things that can give you difficulties? I think when a team has two really good posts and you don't see it anymore, which is why I love this defense. Um, but when they have like an old school team that's just like they don't care about shooting threes, then we will struggle because um, we don't practice double team in the low post a lot. And we don't, you know, in the high post, if they're going high low with us, we're kind of stuck because the X five defender is like mono a mono on their five. Yep. If, if we've got poor footwork or we got sealed, then there's nothing really we can do um, unless we were sagging in really hard. So teams like that, I think personnel give us the hardest time. And we've struggled a little bit up until this year on a double low post and Simon Frazier, which is a Canadian school. They're in our, they're in our league. They're the only Canadian NCAA school. And they, They'll shoot 43s if you let them. They play straight FIBA. I mean, it's, it's the soccer overhead skip passes and stuff. Um, and he's a really good coach. And they'll send baseline cutters through that double low post, and they'll keep wheeling them out the same side. So it puts us at a disadvantage a lot. If we were to guard that and we didn't have players that could pressure, I'm not sure I would play that particular defense against that offense. Uh, against the double low post set like that but fortunately we can recruit to that but that would be one if I was a high school coach and I had good shooters and I was playing a matchup I'd run that I'd run that because they're they're pretty good at that it's good I'm going to look them up on synergy what are some just specific techniques for how you teach a closeout a short closeout versus a long closeout on a skip it's pretty old school um you know I've 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 tried to learn a lot about that um about closeouts because like I know the NBA they teach it totally different now um and I think the kind of the higher level you go from an athleticism standpoint especially on the men's side they teach it a little bit different um for us it you know I, I tell them take two really hard steps um cover as much ground as you can chop the rest of the way on a slow-footed kid um on a kid good athlete I kind of judge it by how good of an athlete I'm dealing with you know if I'm dealing with a pretty good athlete then I'll say get up in them you know, run them off the line and you can kind of recover. But if I got your typical 
that's the kind of player I was. A little slow foot, you know, hey, man, just take your two steps, put that high hand up in the air, you know, and, and pray to God they don't go at you. <laughs> right, right. No, that's good. Well, Coach, thanks a lot for taking the time to uh, to chat with us. Is there anything about the the mayhem that maybe I didn't hit or any other pointers you want to mention to the audience? No, I mean, uh, I think we, we got it co- pretty well covered. You know, um, I, I get emails a lot about the amoeba and um you know with the dvds that we had come out with um from people asking me is that really what you do um did you give it all we right we, we do I, I i really you know if you if you have enough guts to run it then god bless you and i'll help you out all i can um and uh yeah i just think the biggest thing and especially in today's generation is to teach them to take ownership in competing and that's yeah. that's why we do conditioning the way we do. I truly believe the culture of our program and one of the reasons that we've been dominant is because in that amount of time, we can make up for whatever they didn't learn on competing. And I just, I wish every young player would watch that Jordan documentary right now. Absolutely. Because I feel like I was kind of on the the, the teetering edge of that, like, you know, my age and maybe a little bit younger, but we're the last of the Mohicans on like not liking your competition and stuff. So I, I don't want to take away from the sportsmanship side of things, but you have to be able to have that killer mentality because there's 40 minutes where all that friendship stuff doesn't matter, you know, um, and winning matters. Yeah, you definitely need competitors that don't worry about their friends on the other team, that they just want to compete and win the game for their program. That's why I love watching The Last Dance and seeing what a competitor Jordan was. And he may have ridden his teammates a little hard. Of course, at the NBA level, you can do that. But he wanted to win no matter what. I hope all our players in our programs are watching the last dance and seeing the competitive nature of the best player of all time. But again, Coach, thanks for coming on and talking to the Amoeba defense with us. I learned a lot, and I'm definitely going to implement some of these practices with my own program. Good luck in the future. I look forward to following your team and watching your games. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining us on the United Basketball Podcast. I hope you'll listen again to future episodes.